The reading this evening is from Galatians chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 13, which can be found on page 1172 of the Burgundy Bibles in front of you. Page 1172, Galatians chapter 5, going through to chapter 6, verse 10. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Do keep your Bibles open, or if you've closed them, open them again to page 1172. And we'll be studying this passage of the scripture together. 
at first glance, it, um, it seems that the Apostle Paul has realized that he's, he hasn't got much parchment left and he's, he's, he needs to scribble down a few thoughts of things to do. Because all he's been telling them so far is, is why they should be doing these things. And then it, it just it does. It. At first glance, it seems he's just thrown a load of thoughts together and, and, and written them down as quickly as possible. But the Apostle Paul doesn't do things like that. And it, for me, in studying this passage, it, it took about two or three glances and more and, and going through commentaries to understand what, why, where is this coming from? What is Paul saying and, and where is he going? Where is he taking us, his readers? Having told us the most amazing things in Galatians of, of who and what we are in Christ and the, and the, the treasures that are ours in, his, in him, and then where is he taking us to telling us to do these things that, that seemingly seem we should bear one another's burdens? No, no, hang on a minute. Carry your own load? It's just, what, what's Paul saying? But Paul is working very cleverly. What Paul is telling us here, and, and if you look at your little yellow sheets there at the back, uh, I've headed it up, that um, we're keeping in step with the Spirit. I think the first thing I've got written down there is, to review what we've already been studying, is, is talking the talk that the Apostle Paul has been laying out the, the, the foundations of our new life in Christ Jesus, which, which is an amazing life, a life that is rich, the older we get and the wiser we become as Christians, we realize just how wonderful this life is. And then, so what we've been looking at so far, and he's been dealing with the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of our flesh life too, is, is the theory. And now we begin, begin at verse 5, verse 26 through to 6.10, is, is walking the walk, is, is doing the business, it's, it's living the lifestyle. He's told us about the life, and now he encourages us to, to live the lifestyle that should be ours as Christians, where the rubber hits the road. And it, it's never straightforward because we mess up. We, we, we're trying to live the lifestyle, but it's not that easy. But what Paul says here, that not only is it the Spirit that's given us the life to live, and, and brought us into that life, but he helps us to live that life. We are led by the Spirit. We are walking with the Spirit. That we have all of God's strength and help to live this life that he wants us to live, that please him. So if we look at these verses together, we're going to look start at verse 26 of chapter 5, where Paul begins this new section that goes through to 6.10. Paul starts off, what it means to be, what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. We see at the end there, verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, we do. Then let us, Paul said to the Galatians, and, and we through the Word of God say, let us keep in step with the Spirit. But what does that mean? What does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? First of all, we see then in verse 26, the first step of keeping in step with the Spirit is he said, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. What a, what a funny way that Paul starts this off. You'd imagine that to be keeping in step with the Spirit, get on with your knees, start praying, read the Scriptures. But the first thing he said is, is keeping in step with the Spirit, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Again, when you study it, you realize why? Because a conceited person is somebody that's full of themselves. A conceited person is a boastful person. Somebody that's 
very 21st century. I'm full of myself. I can do it. I don't need anybody's help. That's somebody that's conceited. And Paul says in verse 26, let us, Christians, spiritual walkers, let us not become conceited. And when we're full of ourselves, it's very hard for us to be full of the Spirit, isn't it? We're so full of ourselves that it's hard for the Spirit to come into us and to lead us and guide us. And, and a conceited person is, is very boastful. It's a 21st century obsession, isn't it? Self. We know the advert, I'm worth it. Is it L'Oreal that does that because I'm worth it? Now, most of us, they're Christians, go at that. It's just... We're none of us worth it. It's a horrible slogan, but it's a 21st century obsession. It's self. The selfies on the phone, the dreadful Christmas letters that we get, that are just solid boasting from start to finish. The Facebook posts, look at my perfect life, look at my perfect family. We've all seen them. Do we like them? Not really. But, it, but it's boasting and it's acceptable. And interestingly... My, my father, too, passed away just a few months ago. And we've inherited a subscription to one of his magazines called Yours. And it's an old person's magazine, it's a Wrinkley's magazine. And it's quite interesting just to look at the articles. It's all about eating healthily and getting exercise and being happy. But just in different articles, it's the same thing again and again. And, and selling stuff that you, that you think, Crump, this is coming my way soon. All these various aids to do various things. But, but there was an article in there was, was how to be happy. Or the actual title was how to cheat yourself into being happy. I thought, well, this is interesting. But the interesting thing to me was written by some unpronounceable lady's name who was a, a world-leading life coach, author of the famous book, How to Be Selfish. And I thought, oh, just doesn't that sum it up? 20 quid if you want to buy it on Amazon, but how to be selfish. Do you need to read a book to learn how to be selfish? Certainly not. But she was saying that you can become happy by being selfish. You can become content by being selfish. And the scriptures teach conceited people cannot walk by the Spirit. It's the spiritual people that are happy. It's the one, they're the ones that bear the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control and the goodness. They're the ones that are truly happy. The ones that are living by the flesh, they're not happy, not happy at all. And why shouldn't we become conceited? Because the world is pushing us to be conceited. Aren't I good? Haven't I done well? Aren't I brilliant? Aren't my family good? Haven't they done well? Because it leads to provoking. We see there in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. This is 21st century stuff, isn't it? You see it all the time. Provoking and envying one another. It leads to superiority or it leads to inferiority. We, 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 we say to people, you're better than me. And I'm jealous, I'm envious about that. And envy is a terrible thing, it eats away. Or, I'm better than you. And I find you so irritating because you don't come up to my level. These things just are not conducive to a good Christian spirit-led life. Provoking and envying one another. It causes rivalry, it causes discord. Rather than the humble service, but it says in 5.13, Paul says, you, my brothers and sisters, which includes us, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. That's what we're to do as Christians. When we're conceited, it's very difficult 
for us to do that. Rather, we're provoking and envying one another. You're better than me, grr, or you're worse than me, ha-ha, whatever it might be. So the Spirit, first of all, leads us not into being conceited in verse 26. And then we come on to the bulk of the passage, chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. So what does the Spirit then lead us into? If he says no to conceit and no to boastfulness, what does he say yes to? He leads us into caring fellowship. He leads us into caring fellowship. And that's the bulk of the passage we're looking at tonight. Fellowship is about us helping one another, not being conceited, but seeking the best for everyone else. It's very Christian, isn't it? That's what we do as Christians. But it includes things that, interesting, you'd imagine to be a a spirit-filled person is to be, I don't know, falling over, having gold teeth, whatever it might be. But these things are very mundane. These are very mundane things that, that are walking with the spirit. The first thing that we see there in verses 6, chapter 1, is that it means mending broken Christians. One of the things that we're meant to do serving God is to mend broken Christians. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, or you who are spiritual, should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, otherwise you may also be tempted. The word restore here means it's the same one when the disciples were mending their nets having they been fishing for the night. It means to take something back to its original usable condition. That's the word that Paul is saying. We need to restore one another. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore that person gently. So, so one of the ways of following and, 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 and obeying the Spirit is to, be caught, is to help to mend broken Christians gently, and spiritually and only the spiritually mature should attempt that otherwise probably you make the nets worse than they were before now they're pretty bad but now they're going to end up in knots so allow the mature christians to mend the broken ones don't go rushing in there but maybe god will lay somebody on your hearts that is broken then seek with god's blessing and god's help to mend them draw alongside them mend them It's used of a doctor mending a broken arm. It's that same word. He sets it. He puts it in a place, puts a splint round it, and he watches over it until it's fully restored and strong again. There's a ministry in mending broken Christians. I'm sure there are some broken Christians here tonight. That's what the Spirit does. If you're broken, if you think, I've just totally messed up, that's not new. That's what the Spirit does. He draws alongside to help. And his people who are being led by him, that's what they do. So when somebody falls into sin or is caught in a sin, we don't go, ha-ha, serves them right, let them stew in their own juice for a while, which we might be tempted to do. We draw alongside to help them and with God's help and grace to, to seek to restore them. He will help us to do that. But watch yourself. When you're dealing with some of these sinful areas, we need to watch ourselves. Take heed, lest we also fall. That's why it needs to be mature Christians. So point number one of being led by the Spirit in in verse one there is to mend broken Christians. Secondly, in verse two, it's bearing one another's burdens. We've got enough burdens of our own, haven't we, to bear somebody else's as well. Seems seems a, a bit of a heavy call at times, but that's what we're called to do. And again, we, we can be very proud. 
We just want to do things. We want to sort it out ourselves. We don't want anybody's help, thank you very much. The conceited person is like that. I'll do it okay. Or Jesus has said, throw your burdens on me and I'll help you. And you say, well, I'm just throwing them on the Lord and he's going to help me. I'm going to trust him. I don't need your help. But very often the Lord helps us through our brothers and sisters. He draws alongside us through someone in very human flesh. And they draw alongside to help us because we need to bear one another's burdens. And again, it's a great ministry being a burden bearer. And don't go rushing around looking for people that are burdened. There's somebody over there I can go and help bear their burden. Just God will bring them to you. He'll point them out. Then sometimes the Spirit prompts us. He, he points out people to us, maybe to pray for. Then bear their burdens in prayer. Bear their burdens practically. Draw alongside to help them. Going with the Spirit means bearing one another's burdens. And don't be too proud to say, can you help? Can you help me? I need your help. Because there are times in life that we go through that we just can't go through it on our own. We think we can, but actually we can't. The load is too heavy. This word here, this word burden, means a massive weight, an unbearable weight that you just can't carry on your own. So share the heavy load. Admit that you need help and pray to God. You're seeking the Lord. Lord, what can I do to serve you? Be a burden bearer. Be a burden sharer. It's a great ministry in the church of Christ. The next thing that he leads us into is verse 6, and that's supporting Christian workers, supporting our missionaries, supporting our church needs, supporting our teachers and preachers, as we see here in verse 6. It's a complicated verse. It says here in verse 6, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. What's that got to do with giving? It needs unpacking Basically what it means is that you're listening to somebody expounding the word. They've put their effort into that. They're sharing with you what they've learned, what they've found out from the word of God. Now you share with them your money, your, your, your means, your finances. Because Paul's teaching here as he teaches in very many other places in the scriptures that we are to support our Christian workers and to support them well and not to give grudgingly. The word share is an absolute important word. We share. Phil shares his gifts as he labours with the word of God. And I assure you, it needs labouring from time to time to get out its truth. But a good worker will labour with the word to, to help us through this difficult life and this, the, the, the warfare that we go through. Then support him financially. And other workers too, I'm sure. Um, the, the frith there will be very grateful of a bit of support. They need your support prayerfully, financially too, because we share with them in their work. It's a, it's a ministry of sharing. So supporting Christian workers is caring fellowship that the Spirit leads us into. And then finally, it's doing good in verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Doing good. I used to despise Christians before I was a Christian as a, as a schoolboy because they were the do-gooders. They were the do-gooders. What's wrong with doing good? What better thing is there than to do good to one another? The doing good involves all of these things plus more. You list it. What's, what's doing good? That is 
That is caring fellowship for God. It's all the above and more. And it says, as we have opportunity, then there in, in verse in verse 10. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Opportunities abound. Don't go looking for them. They'll come to you. I think one of the best bits of advice I ever had as a Christian was don't go worrying about seeking God's will. God will bring it to you in his time. He's very able to do that. Just wait until he brings it to you. And he does. Opportunities come up every day. Every day there are opportunities for us to do good. Let's see them. Just the other day I've been, I was studying this and the phone rang and my sister-in-law was on the phone from Australia. I thought, oh no, I've got to listen to it. And I thought, Phil, just do good. Listen to the phone. That's doing good. And oh, It made a difference to the whole conversation. When opportunities come, see them as an opportunity to serve God. It's doing good. Listening at the other end of the phone, whatever it might be. Do good. That's following the Spirit. That's following the Spirit. So, first of all, he leads us into caring fellowship. That's the whole of verses 1 to 10. Then he leads us to a true understanding of ourselves. Verses 3 to 5. Again, at first sight it's complicated. Listen to this. If anyone thinks they are something when they are nothing, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Basically, what Paul is saying here, and what God is saying to us through these verses, is that we need to get a good understanding of ourselves, and that's difficult for us to do. We we don't see ourselves as we really are. We are either proud, and we see ourselves with an inflated opinion of ourselves, or we're far, far too humble, and we don't see ourselves really as we are. We're much better than what we think we are. We have a low opinion of ourselves. We need to have a realistic opinion of ourselves as Christians. That's quite hard to do, isn't it? Because we vary from one to the other. Sometimes we think we're fantastic. Another day we think we're terrible. But we somehow need to have a realistic, spirit-inspired opinion of ourselves as to who we are, what God is calling us to do, how best to do that, and so on. We need to measure ourselves to God's scale and to get a wrong, a right measure, not a wrong, conceited one. And we need to test ourselves and examine ourselves, it says there. And the Spirit will help us to do that so that we, we are comfortable in our own skin. We're comfortable in our own ministry. We're not measuring ourselves up to somebody else. And that's, that's the temptation to do that, to say, oh, I'm just not, not as good as Stephen. Stephen's good at everything he does. I, I just, I'll never be like him. No, you won't. But you'll be as God wants you to be. And the thing to be is to be yourself comfortable in how God has made you, how God uses you, and God will. And God loves to use nobodies. God used, loves to use people who are nothings and nobodies. Because the Spirit is the Spirit's working. That, 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 that brings his will to be. So, so get a grip of who and what you are. Play your unique part in God's ministry. Don't say, do you know what? I'm just utterly rubbish. I can't do anything. You can. And with God's strength, you will. Rather than saying I'm rubbish and I'm no good, saying I'm not very good really, but with God's strength, I can do things. I can Be amazed at what I can do. So don't try to measure yourself up against somebody else. They always look better. 
or they always look worse, but just trying to gather who you are and serve God. Because in God's economy, we individually are important. We are worth it in Christ. Not in ourselves, but in Christ. We are very much worth it to him. He has died that we might have life. Individually. It wasn't a corporate death that he did. Our sins individually were nailed on the cross he calls us individually i knew you from before you were born we are so precious to the lord jesus christ getting our heads and hearts around that is revelationary then things begin to take off he loves me i'm comfortable that he will use me too so get a grip get an understanding of yourself that's what paul is saying there So he leads us into a true understanding of ourselves. And then verses 7 and 8, he leads us into increasing holiness. This is so important. I think if all the things that I want you to remember tonight, and this is a thing which I think is neglected in the church nowadays, holiness is vital for fellowship with God. Holiness is vital for, for spiritual growth. Holiness is vital for church Real church growth, real Christian maturity, it's vital for that. So if you look together at verses 7 and 8, do not be deceived, says Paul, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And Paul gives a picture here of, of two fields, And two harvests. But first of all, he says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. You are being deceived if you think it doesn't matter how I live. If that's your thought, if that's what you've been holding on to, do you know what? It doesn't matter how I live. I'm under grace. It doesn't matter at all. I can do this. I can do that. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Paul says, do not be deceived. If that's your philosophy, you're wrong. It matters massively how you live and who you are sowing to. God isn't mocked. To, 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 what, what this word means, this mocked, is like turning your nose up at. So if you, when, when God reveals the things that he likes and is pleased with his holiness, it's like we're turning our nose up at God saying, yeah, I know, I don't care. Just give me your blessings, God. Give me your blessings and that'll be fine. I don't want to go your way. It's turning your nose up at God. So... Don't be deceived. The Spirit helps us not to be deceived. He points these things out. We, we recognize the shepherd's voice. We kind of know when somebody's saying, yeah, 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 live, live as you like. It doesn't matter. Something within us, and that's the Spirit, says, it's wrong. It's wrong. It matters how you live. And then Paul, again, he begins with a negative by not sowing to the flesh field. This is one of the fields. is the flesh field. Don't sow to that field. That's the sarks that Phil has been teaching about, this, this lower nature. And I just want to read a bit because John Stott in his amazing commentary in Galatians just sums it up. And young people, there you are, particularly listen to this because this is so important. And John Stott says on this particular bit of passage, to sow to the flesh is to pander to it, to cost it, to cuddle, and to stroke it instead of crucifying it. The needs... The seeds we sow are largely thoughts and deeds. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, to nurse a grievance, 
to entertain an impure fantasy or wallow in self-pity, we're sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company, whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying, every time we read pornographic literature, every time we take a risk which strains our self-control, we are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. Some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they do not reap holiness. Holiness is a harvest. Whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what and where we sow. So says John Stott. That's just well said. And that's true. There are two harvests. The harvest of the flesh, which leads to destruction, but the harvest of the spirit, which leads to life. He leads us to sow in his good field. Serve one another is sowing to the Spirit. A good personal and devotional life, it's sowing to the Spirit. What does it lead to? Eternal life, it says here. The harvest is eternal life in all its fullness. And eternal life just doesn't begin when we die. Eternal life begins now, when we enter the kingdom of God. It's this rich life that Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have life in all its fullness. Do you have that life? Brothers and sisters here at BH tonight, do you have that life, that eternal life? Are you reaping now the, the blessings, that you've, the seeds that you've sown years ago? We should be. I'm sure the old folks there, they'll be nodding, the, the, the grey wrinklies there, they've been sowing. Youngsters, talk to them. So is this true? Are you reaping now the benefits of seeds that you've sown all those years ago? I'm sure without a doubt that little faces will light up and they say, absolutely true. Outwardly I'm wasting away, but inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. The world can laugh at us, but we are rejoicing in Christ Jesus. Reaping the rewards now, but reaping the rewards in eternity too. When we're with the Lord in heaven, there is no greater joy than to be with him in heaven. Then we shall reap fully. So, he leads us into increasing holiness. Then verse 9, he leads us through weariness and fatigue. You look a bit weary and fatigued. I know it's been a hot day and Phil's been going on not too long so far. But he leads us through weariness, through fatigue. I'm sure our friends, the Friths, there have been times when the weariness and the fatigue of doing what they do has just been intolerable. It was too difficult. How did they get through it? By the Spirit's help, by God's goodness, by people coming alongside, the Spirit helping them through. The Christian life, as we've been discovering in Galatians chapter 5, is a warfare. It is really tough. It's beyond our ability to do. But the Spirit draws alongside. And in verse, in verse 9 there, we see, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. The word weary here means to slacken off. It means to go limp. You know what it is? To, you feel like going limp on a day like today, don't you? We had a busy couple of days, my wife and I. We had the kids, the grandchildren staying for over 24 hours. Five-year-old and a three-year-old. We're not as young as we used to be. A dozen other things happening at the same time. How do we feel? Limp. You know, that, that's exactly, this is what it means. Giving up, I just feel so limp. We can't slacken off as Christians. We've got to maintain that, that, that warlike stance because we're in a battleground. We can't slacken off. 
we become weary, but the Spirit helps us by giving us hope. By giving us hope, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, there will be a harvest. When God's time is right, it might not be now, but it will come. It gives us a hope of, of reaping the harvest. We reap it in this life, so don't give up now because it seems difficult. But we reap it in eternity, in, in, in its full measure. That's when. And then by giving us encouragement, the Holy Spirit says, don't give up. Don't give up. We sometimes reach the end of our tether and the best advice, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and he says, don't give up. Don't give up on your faith. Life is tough. Parents bringing up their children. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. At times, I remember sometimes driving off into work thinking, I could just drive and not come back. I am shattered. Those blinking kids are driving me around the bend. There's a cowboy in me that wants to sail off into the sunset. But... We plod, we get on, we we don't give up, we keep going. That's what the Christian life is about. That's following Christ, that's following the Spirit. We don't give up. Work, at times work is just dreadful. How many times have you folks here think, I could just walk out, but you don't. Why don't you walk out? Because the Spirit is saying, don't give up. You're on the edge of giving up, but don't give up. Christian workers, are there times when you want to give up? Amen. Other, do you want to give up now? Do you want to just not go back to Bolivia? Phil, I'm said that there are times, anybody that works in Christian work, do you want to give up? Yes, you don't. You keep going because God is going to be with you there. Personal devotion. Do you ever want to give up on praying and reading the scriptures? You're too true. It's hard work. But we don't. We keep going. There's a spiritual conflict that we read of in 517. We keep going. We fight with God's weapons. Old age. Do you want to give up sometime? Do you know what? Going limp, you, you wait till you're 89 or whatever it is. Then you feel limp. At 63 sometimes I feel old. And then the, the smiles come. You're not old yet. I remember once we used to give an old lady a lift to church. Dear old Ada. She was from Blackpool and she, she spoke uh, the, the way things was. And she could hear some things and not the others. Paul was a little baby then and one day he got in the back of the car and he said, Ada looks like a ghost. To which she said, I heard that. Which is her, so the ears were good. But she was, she was about 90, 98 or 99. I said, come on Ada, you can make it to 100. And she said, Phil, don't wish that on me. Please don't wish that on me. You've got no idea how difficult it is to be 98 or 99, whatever it was. Phil learned a lesson that day from dear old Ada, who's, who's in heaven. She didn't make 100, bless her heart. She's where she wanted to be. She's home. So the Holy Spirit gives us <coughs> encouragement. <coughs> Excuse me. Just to conclude, and I'm concluding now, we're coming to the end. When I was a lad at school, I was useless at sport. I wasn't in the football team, wasn't in the cricket team, wasn't in the hockey team, wasn't in any team. But one thing I could do every year, this is primary school, one thing that I used to win hands down was the three-legged race. Untouchable, the three-legged race. Every year, winner of the three-legged race. Because there is a science to the three-legged race that not any, in fact, nobody else in my school knew. I knew it, but I wasn't letting anyone to everybody else because I wanted to win it. I was proud and conceited in those days. It's been knocked off since then. But the secret was, with your other leg, you tied your leg around the other person and you tied it tight. No wobbling, no nothing. It was as tight as it could be. You put your arm around the other person, you held them tight. So you were one unit 
in the three-legged race. You were there, so every movement, you were there together. So you held one another tight, your legs were as tight as you possibly could be. And then you let the other person lead. So you said to the other person, okay, you lead off, rather than fighting to start off and then falling over like everybody else did. You let them, and like a millisecond behind, you're with them. You lead them. And then the other final thing was that I was strapped to the side of what was a human whippet. Martin Green was the fastest thing on two legs. I wasn't, but he was, and he went like a rocket. And because I was being carried by him, and that's the illustration. We're not strapped to the Holy Spirit, but he is in us. Let's get as tight and as close to him as we can possibly be in our Christian lives. And then an energy and a joy and a peace comes through keeping in step with him. Keep in step with the Spirit, says the Apostle Paul. There is no peace, no joy, no thrill like walking in his will. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Amen.